Cold open it is. Oh. Cold and it's open. Just like the torn torn on half. God damn it. We can't go 30 seconds without a bloody Star Wars. <laughs> I'm getting sick of this. Uh. We're officially <laughs> transferring to a Star Trek podcast. Yeah. Which will be equally... Star Trek. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. You just said Star Trek. Yeah. Holy. Oh, you meant Star Trek. I know. So we could stop talking about Star Wars. Oh, no. We'd find a way to do it. Life Hello and Wait. welcome back to Taking on Hollywood. I'm Alex, and as always, I'm joined by Sunny. It's me, the other one. Okay, the other one. Yes, my co-host, my faithful co-host. Yes, the the bangers to my mash, the the brown sauce to my sausage. If you can't tell, we're English. Yeah, this is the show where we review a different film every week. We take on Hollywood, literally. I mean, they're not really Hollywood. I mean, they could. They don't have to be Hollywood films if we review them. Not necessarily. It's just a cool name. Yeah, it's just a name. <laughs> that, that's about all we're good at, coming up with names. Yeah. And even then, we're not that great. So, no. Yeah. yeah anyway, no, I, Breakfast Club. Yeah, that's the film we're doing this week. <laughs> if you listened last, last to the previous episode before this, we mentioned it. Yes, I believe we did. And... Uh, yeah, so fantastic. It's a great movie. It's the perfect coming of age movie. It's fun. It's got it's got a lot of heart. It's a fun adventure, but it's got a lot of deeper meaning as well. And that's really what you can ask for in a film about for Exactly. A film for babies or young babies. <laughs> what? I meant like <laughs> I meant young people. <laughs> I've lost it. <laughs> well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell a story. Oh my god! About how I came to know this film. You baby. <laughs> okay. So I'm gonna tell a story about how I came to know this film. It was um, many moons ago. Sat there watching TV, and uh, if you're an early 2000s kid, you'll know what I'm talking about. Victorious Nickelodeon. It's part. Oh, I remember that. Those eras of TV, and uh, they did a parody episode of this, and I we watched it. I think you were there as well. I believe so, but I I watched it before I knew it was a parody because obviously we hadn't watched this movie at that point. Yeah, Um, because it's it's quite adult, even though it's kind of made for kids. It's, made for, it's kind it's of made weird for, that they made a kids' show parody of it. It is because, but I, but let's be fair. Those shows made by what's the guy's name? He did Drake uh, and Josh. Uh, Dan, Dan, is it Dan Schneider? Dan Schneider. Well, it's yeah. something like that. If you uh, Schneider's Bakery, or uh, I don't know. I think that's his production company. If you know who it is, or you are him, please write in. Yes, please let us know. What's your last name, Dan Schneider? Um. And this was, and it was very strange, uh, wasn't it? Because I, I, I remember, it distinct, was. I distinctly remember you 
no me turning well no you turning to me after this and yeah you said what was what did we just watch and i just went i don't know I thought, yeah, I was confused, but also like, this is the best thing ever. Because we didn't realize it was a parody at the time. We just thought it was a really janky, weird, out of place episode. But that I mean, kind of made it stand out. I remember Victoria's being weird on the best of times. So, you know. Yeah. And then I, it dawned on me, they would, they have like a scene, the, the weed scene from Breakfast Club. Do they? The alternative in, in that in the victorious episode is tacos and they do the same actions. Oh wow. They do the same actions like that Brian does with the sunglasses and, you know, with his mouth like catching the clouds with like cheese. <laughs> I remember this, like it's burned into my brain. I don't remember it that well. And my and it blew my mind. You know what? Like when I saw it, I was like, oh my God, they actually but what did, did blow my mind is how similar some of them look to the actual movie. Like some of the people in that show actually look like the the actors in this movie. But yeah, well, they um, dress them up. Don't they? they dress them up in similar yeah. clothes. So, uh, but yeah, I think yeah, it's. I mean, that just shows it's a movie that crosses generations. Kids can watch it and enjoy it and appreciate it for what it is, but adults also can because again, it, it's a fun movie, but it has deeper meanings, and I think that's why it's. Even though I've never seen it before, it it has this nostalgic feeling because it taps into that kind of the the feeling of memories of childhood and and growing up. It just it, those are the key memories that people hold on to. Yeah, it's not nostalgic in terms of pop culture. It's nostalgic in terms of just you know life and stuff like that. Yeah, it, people it, living. It 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 conveys a story that's relatable to everyone. And it's kind yeah, of because everyone goes to school. Well, most yeah. people go to school. It's it's this kind of these fun stories that seem like you know just a bit fun on the outside. They, they, it's the ones that have the powerful and underlying messages that make the most memorable movies, and it makes you feel like you've been on an adventure and you've bonded with these characters as if they're your friends. Yeah, definitely. And it makes you want to go on the journey again. That's why they're so rewatchable. That's why you remember them fondly. So I think it re- it taps into that really well. It's really strange even for this movie because you look at it face value. It's in the same room for two hours or just under and people are like, oh, I love it. I want and you've just said you want to go and watch it again. Yeah. I want to go and watch it again. I'm watching it as we're recording this actually. So I could keep it down. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's just, you get that. There's certain movies where you just go, I want to watch that again, or I just want to watch. I've, there's only been a few movies in my life where I've literally gone, okay, I'm going to watch this again and again and again. Uh, the one that comes to mind for me is The Producers. Like, that was the one where I was like, I love this movie. It just got it right, and I just wanted to keep watching it. And this movie for me, taps in Seven that. Samurai. Yeah, I can see that. The only problem is it's a bit long. <laughs> but, it's fucking three, three hours, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's. If it take a week off yeah. to binge that. Yeah, you do. Uh, but there's a lot of... The messages in this movie um, include messages about social status, pressure, got living situations, you know, parents and family, relationships, wealth, classes, bullying. Teen angst. A lot of that. It's so much. And 
you see each kid in this in this detention. If we didn't mention it, it's about these kids who are in detention on a Saturday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then they've yeah, got the this. Films, so the film's about uh, three, um, no, not three, five. Five, yeah. Is it five? Um, so it's five of the like school archetypes. You know, yeah, it's the basically jock, the brain. Yeah, the, the five the walking stereotypes in a sense, in, in essence, you would find in a high school film, or just maybe a high school in general, like you know, yeah, and uh, and they're all, and then they are, they're all in detention on a Saturday, which if I think apparently it's a thing in the US, yeah, not so much over I don't here know. across the pond, but. We don't even have a, really have detention. Not really. At least were for us, for us when we went. Probably because their teachers can't be bothered coming in on the weekend. <laughs> I know why. Well, they can't be bothered. They can't be bothered staying after the clo- the bell. Like, yeah, I know. See you later. But anyway, yeah. Each one is a stereotype, kind of. The, there's the wild card, no, I, the jock, the nerd, well, the I'll, weirdo, the rich. I'm going to stop you there. Yeah, I'm going to stop you there. We are using the stereotype in the wrong way. When I was doing a little bit of uh, reading up on this film, yeah, I discovered the definition of stereotypes. They're not stereotypes; they're archetypes. Archetype. Oh. So they're archetypes. They're not stereotypes. I shall. I shall adjust my grammar radar. Boop boop boop. I, I just. I'm just cautious. The grammar Nazis are going to, you know, <laughs> tweet at tweet at us and go. Actually, that stereotypes is a, the negative connotation of archetype. Uh, technically, uh, according to uh, the Webster New English Dictionary, <laughs> according to Webster's Dictionary, look, we're being that. Look, all the Bryans will come out and you know go. Uh, Gosh dang I it, Brian! Club. Gosh dang it, Brian! No, Brian's a great character. I guess now's a good time as any to get into these characters. Um, yes. Fantastic. First of all, I think we should. All of yeah, them. they're all great, but the. We'll go kind of in order of importance, I think, based on how prominent they are. Can we just before we before we go to the characters to talk about the opening scene? Oh which yeah, brilliantly sets up the characters immediately. They're all being dropped off. Well, well no, we get most the David Bowie quote. Yeah, that was really eighties. The music and the David Bowie quote just made it like, okay, I know, I know what I'm in for now. <laughs> like this is this is the eighties. This is the middle of the eighties. I'm watching over. These kids in detention. Gonna sing my song. My trousers are too tight. That was David Bowie, everyone, if you were uh, wondering. Wasn't it his um was it his birthday the other day? I don't know, I might be making that up. Well, well he's dead, so Well he didn't have a birthday. In retrospect. His retrospective birthday. Is that right? Anyway. Yeah, very eighties opening. Very eighties opening. Probably gonna ask for a more eighties opening. That weird Glass shattering effect. Yeah, that was. I was like, okay, that's like a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> it was like, yeah, it's like, it's like in PowerPoint when, when the, the slide falls into a paper airplane and flies away. Yeah, it's the, it's the, it's those transitions that people used to put on their presentations unnecessarily. They used to take up way too much time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So everyone gets dropped off, and you get a little, tiny little exchange between them and whoever they're in the car with, their parents. Yeah, one of the parents and usually. And it sets up their, um, well, it brilliantly sets up their archetype. Yeah. So uh, Brian, who's the nerdy guy, he he's there and his mum goes, if you look back on the film, because you find out he's very pressured, like mm. she goes, you better study. And I was like, and then I was, thought back and I was like, oh, God, 
Yeah, you definitely. There's, I imagine there's a rewatch value there because each kid, you you might not realize it straight away, but each kid's little introduction is kind of just perfect. And I think the one that kind of was the most effective was the one where least the least was said, which was Bender, the the wild card and the class clown kind of guy. Yeah, the, he he just arrives on his what own. What is he like? The the maverick? Yeah, I guess. Uh, he's like the burnout. He's like the guy who drops out of high school, you know? Yeah. He's the person you like, where will they be in five years? Yeah. Which is actually something the teacher points out. <laughs> but the he arrives on his own and you think maybe it's just because he lives nearby. Maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he doesn't want to be part of Maybe he don't want to be seen being dropped off. But it kind of hints towards him not really having a stable family. Because he just kind of walks into the middle of the road, he doesn't care. He's on well, his yeah, own. Yeah, he has to make he has to make his own way, and you can read into that, like oh, yeah. Like I saw it, I saw it immediately. I was like, oh, this. I bet this guy's got a bit of a. I just clocked it. Yeah, you can. There's definitely a lot of hints towards where the movie's going and what what these characters are about, and you might not even necessarily notice them first time round. Yeah. Um, who else? Uh, so I think the other the other great one is Allison, who's like the uh, quiet, sort of very 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 introverted, nervous girl, weirdo, and yeah, weirdo. <laughs> yeah, the weirdo. Uh, archetype. We're, gonna we're gonna say it now. Yeah, the weirdo archetype. Uh, she gets dropped off, and she like gets out the car, and she waits a moment. I think that moment is key, and then she like she's being a bit hopeful. Yeah, her parents would drive off, and I was like, "Beautiful." Looking back, I was like, "That is brilliant." But I was mm. at the start, I was like, well, "What's going on here?" Yeah, it creates a lot of intrigue. Yeah, it's definitely. Well, I say each of these do because you kind of think, you, you, based on how they they talk to their parents, based on what they do in this short amount of time, you start to build stereotypes in your head. And I thought that. It was kind of cheesy, you know. Each kid pulls up, and their parents say a little word to them and drop them off. But I it think it, I think it's it's the only way you could open this, this film. Really, it's like uh, the Godfather, which we reviewed in our first episode. Yes, um, that has the the wedding scene, and that's a very natural way of um, doing exposition and setting up characters. And this is the same thing. It uses a very natural thing to set up the characters. Yeah, it's efficiently. It yeah, it's all about I think so far one thing we've clocked in this podcast is that if the opening is solid and it establishes things well and it establishes your characters well, you know you're in for a good movie. And even though this was the intro it's a bit cheesy because it was the 80s, it worked. Yeah, but it was did, I think like the only thing the only thing I didn't like was that glass shattering effect. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of that in this I was just, movie. I was feel like I was a bit like I would no, I was just like Okay, cool. Yeah. And I was a bit like, ooh. But then I was immediate. I was in for the rest of the film. I was like, oh, cool. This is really interesting. Yeah, I was unsure about this movie. I was like, okay, I'm going to watch it for this podcast. And I'm going to, I might enjoy it. I thought it wasn't going to be my kind of film. And then I ended up, after that intro, I was like, okay, I'm in for this. Like, because I don't know, it's, it's, it's had that same vibe as Star Wars and Back to the Future, where you just like, you just know you're in for something and it's not on the same scale. It's not a grand adventure, but the fact that they were able to turn this simple concept of five kids being in detention into, into this kind of adventure. And you, you felt like you were about to go on an adventure. 
it, it almost it almost was more relatable because this is a situation that anyone could be in. You know, you're not traveling to the future or going to a park with dinosaurs or finding an alien and take trying to get it home. Like this is a, this is a eighties. It has the vibe of an eighties fantasy adventure movie, but it all takes place in a in, in a library, which I think is quite genius. I don't think it has. I think it just has the vibe of an adventure for movie. I wasn't yeah. like, "Wow, I've been transported to a magical new world." Yeah, exactly. School. <gasps> it was kind of like, like that. I was like, "Oh, I'm, okay, here's a school," but everything else was. It was very engaging immediately. Yeah, so it, it hooks you in. It felt. It didn't. It felt like it made it more relatable. You're like anyone could go on these adventures. Anyone could have this time. This it it made it feel real. Which yeah. I don't know if that works in favor or, but I like that. We like that. I like it a lot. Okay, cut that, please. We, you gotta cover. <laughs> you gotta cover Dumb and Dumber one day. Um. So yeah, the character archetypes. Uh, I think we should start out actually with the teacher. Get him out of the way, Mister Vernon. I really like the teacher. I like the teacher. I I not like not not like I was like I totally agree with the teacher. I love him. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't like him as a person. Yeah, I liked him as a character. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he was a very good character. He, he, I mean, obviously, he's not likable. He's definitely the antagonist of the film, but yeah. just a, he's an engaging character. You like go, I laughed, I laughed out loud at stuff he said. Yeah, you, you love to hate him. He's definitely, he's an engaging character. He's, he's one of the most enjoyable characters, but not necessarily one of the most likable. You, you, you love to hate this character because there are parts of him that you can really relate to, and there are parts of him where you're like, okay, this guy's like an awful person. Because you so, just like they they cut back like uh, during the first hour at least they keep cutting back to him doing these little things, having these little moments. Yeah, and then like it, it just makes him a bit more human. I, I especially related to when he spilled his coffee all over his lunch. Like, I was like, okay, that's the kind of thing I do <laughs> with the orange in his mouth. Yeah, Everyone yeah. Relates to that. What is it with oranges in mouths in movies? You got the Godfather doing it. Yeah, oh, yeah the Godfather it's a reference. <gasps> Are we are we uncovering a are we uncovering a grand conspiracy with this podcast? Yeah, the the orange conspiracy, the Hollywood orange it's conspiracy. A, it's the Pixar theory, but it applies to every film ever made. Yes, it, it, every <laughs> in every film, it's the one with an orange in their mouth. <laughs> no, they all reference each other. Oh my god! Um, yeah, but Mr. Vernon, welcome to the conspiracy podcast, everyone. The Hollywood conspiracy Mr. Vernon. podcast. He had a lot of good one-liners. You don't mess with the bull, you'll get the horns. I like that one. That was my favorite line. Fantastic! That's a classic line. I've heard that yeah. just outside of the film. So I was like, "You mess with the cow, you get the udders." What do they say? They say on Victorious, yeah. uh, "Mess with the cow, you get the udders." <laughs> ten out of ten. Um, Which is probably better. Yeah, it's it's funny. <laughs> I've, um, de- I've definitely said that. I've said I know I've said that a few times. I've, uh, I've said that to my mum, and she went, "What you are? What are you saying?" She was very <laughs> concerned. Um, he he has a yeah. The one-liners towards the kids are really good. He, instead of going to prison, you'll come here. I'm doing society a favor. Was a great one towards <laughs> Bender. I was like, "Ooh!" Uh, he said, "Shut great. up, Pee Wee," to Brian, <laughs> which I loved. Shut up, Pee Wee. Shut up, Pee Wee. Um. And he, another one of his lies to Brian was, you go see John Bender in five years and you'll see how funny he is. Ooh. He has a lot of burns on Bender. It's, uh, yeah. He's, Bender he, burns. Again, he's the kind of character you love to hate because you're like, 
you feel bad for him because he has to put up with all these like annoying, spoiled, attention-seeking kids. But he himself, we eventually see, he's also no, extremely old. flawed. Yeah. And but the group, he's the common enemy that the group bond over over time. Yeah. Okay. So should we move on to the kids? The kids. Should we go from least important to most? I think. Uh, yeah, I think least important. So who's the? I mean, they're not. They're not all. Not no one's as important as the other. I'd say, I'd say that they're, they're all s- equally important, but they have some have more focus. Yeah, the like there's definitely main characters and then kind of more support. I'd say they're all main, all all main characters, but I would say some get more focus on just because yeah. I think their personality is more engaging. You know, as a in terms yeah. of like write, writing snappy dialogue for it. You know, like Bender, he can come up because he's um you know like the burnout he like has and he's a bit more charismatic he like has snappier dialogue but everyone's still important in terms of the overall message of the film and story and stuff like that yeah but there's definitely like characters that stand out more or were were the focus of more attention uh yeah i'd say the least so was uh the rich girl claire i I, I think she was developed the least possibly she had a lot she to say. To like, and, and she, she, used to, she seemed to like flip flop back and forth, and then eventually she got to the point of her arc. It was a bit strange. It was. She she was the victim a lot of the time, and so you kind of feel bad for yeah. her. But at the same time, she's kind of my main. She's the, she's the hardest to change. That's what. Yeah. Her, the point of hers. I'd say and that it's a bit annoying, really. I was a bit like, oh, come on. <laughs> just, 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 just give him a break. Yeah. It's like, I, I can't be friends with you because I'm popular. It's like, dude, that's not the point he's making. Yeah. Come she on. definitely has the least character development. I'd, I'd say we, we do see, again, this movie is about breaking down stereotypes, oh, sorry, archetypes and also stereotypes, yeah, I guess, because yeah. they all have stereotypes of one another, like the jock. He's the popular kid. He's always happy. He doesn't care about other people. Brian's the nerd, and, and he's just really clever, and he's got the perfect family. Bender, he, they all just think he's, he's got the biggest seeking. Brian's got the biggest heart, but we actually yeah. find out he's quite damaged. Yeah. Um, the and then the, the rich girl, everyone thinks she's a bit stupid and kind of a bit, uh, and not, she's uh, not careful. Yeah, I, don't she's, with, I don't think they say she's stupid. They just seem... Yeah, uh, but there's definitely like, the the stereotypes that everyone thinks about these arch- these archetypes that like oh they're not the best at school but they're popular and yeah that kind of thing and I think for Claire the the rich the rich girl Claire the that's the archetype she's she we 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 eventually see that she's more than a spoiled kid she opens up and she shows she's quite mature and grounded like. A lot of people think, oh, she has like 10 different boyfriends and she's doing this and she's doing that. She's super rich. She has quite a bit of perspective for someone her age. Yeah. And And she hides it. Yeah. We expect her to be shielded from the world. Yeah. And and, and a bit kind of naive. And she actually proves that she's not. Like planet, everything revolves around planet Claire. Yeah. And stuff like that. There is a there is an element of that because she says, "Oh, you don't know about the pressures of being popular to other people," which is fair enough. That's part of like again seeing past the stereotype. We think she's cool, she's popular, she's rich, got nothing to worry about. When she talks about the pressures of having to maintain that status, which you know is still like, "Oh, that's a bit like, oh, come on." But 
yeah, because it's still a, it still like, takes a toll. Like, yeah, like there's bigger fish in the sea. Yeah, she she lacks perspective. That's her character flaw. I'd say we, we she's she more mature, but when she's, her she she has perspective when her guards down in terms of just life overall. Yeah, but in terms of like the here and now, she's very closed. Like she's got her blinders on, you know. Yeah, like a horse. Yeah, I, and I think the, the main arc for her is. She gets picked on a lot. It's almost as if she never used to get picked on, and in this small group, she's the one who gets like the fingers pointed at her and pressured a lot. Yeah, she gets rag- ragged on. Probably. I felt bad for her, but at the same time, she's the one who probably in school would pick on other people. So, you know, or just like laugh at them, you know? Yeah. So it's a role reversal. Should we just get out of the way that we're the we're Brian? Let's just yeah, say, we're, Brian. we're the we were the nerds. We were the nerds. Speaking of Brian, I guess we can move on to him next. Uh, yeah, he was great. He was great, and his voice was his voice got better as the film went on because when he started, <laughs> he was very lispy. I was like, "Come on, dude, speak clearly." <laughs> okay, and I've got a, I've got a, I've got a bit of a lisp. Yeah, that's coming from tell. you, <laughs> exactly. And I was like, "Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, man!" Because I get the subtitles down the lisp. On. Yeah, my subtitles. Um, I really liked anyway Brian. about his character. Yeah, he was my favorite. And there's a scene in the movie where they all have this really heartfelt... They, uh, it started by Andrew, the kind of jock archetype. He starts to open up and talk about his life and pressure. And when how it, um, when they're all... Uh, after they've all done like drugs and they're all sat in a circle. Oh, and he starts the, to break the end down. Of, at the end of the film, yeah. yeah. When it's like and, the, big, the big emotional breakdown scene. Yeah, Brian is perceived and, and kind of picked on by Bender for having this perfect life and this perfect family and perfect grades. And he seems like yeah. a pretty decent kid and he, you know, he'll take a jab at the teacher occasionally, but you can tell he's just really a normal kind of good student. And you kind of laugh at him because he starts to go, you, you think it's funny because he's like, Andrew's opened up about his life and how hard it can be. And then he's like, I got an F and it was really sad. And I hated it. And you kind of giggle at that. Cause you're like, okay, it's one F. But and we were like, and we were like, geez, I, yeah. I literally went, geez, man. Come but, on. but I think underneath it reveals that the pressure that he's in, cause he, he views that on the same level. He, he, he warrants that as, as being something to break down into tears over, which shows us his psyche. It might not be a big thing to everyone else, but to him, the fact that it means that much is. Yeah, you've got to have empathy yeah. for other people. I mean, because everyone experiences things at different levels. Exactly, it reveals, and especially, especially because we find out that his parents and have have probably like said, "You've got to do amazing, otherwise you're you're disinherited or whatever." You know, like stuff like that. Yeah, they. If you don't get an A, you're not eating for three days. Something like that. Probably yeah, not like, that extreme. The character Bender we see, who we'll get onto in a bit, he has really bad family problems, and that's a severe problem. Like his dad's abusive, and his to his mother and him, and and he kind of has to fend for himself. He doesn't bring a lunch to school; he has to walk to school every day. He's not looked after, and that's if you were to put it into a hierarchy, that means more to me than like it's harder to live with than getting an F. But it shows that again, yeah, with like with a pushy parents, you know, yeah, but. It shows again that it's all about perspective. It's all about, you know, don't necessarily assume that the rich kid's fine. Like we're we're privileged. We there are people in the world way worse off than us, but it doesn't mean that we can't get fed up. It doesn't mean that we can't be pushed over the edge. Yeah, because emotions are universal, but it's the cause of yeah, the difference. It's it's about someone perspective. Could be, someone could be someone could 
two people can be depressed for different reasons, but they're still exactly. in the end both depressed. So it's like that's what you've got to think about. Like I'd say, I I have no good reason to be miserable about my life, but it happens. These things always happen. You know, you get you get you get it down in the dumps. Yeah, things happen, and people say to you, "Well, put it in perspective." You're like, "Yeah," but to to me, it's still hurts and i think that's this is a good way of conveying that like each character no matter their social situation no matter their popularity in school they all have these issues and it all affects them the same from the outside it might look like some have worse problems than the other but they're all suffering and they all the big point of this movie is kids need time to be kids they need to be able to alleviate that pressure of school and popularity and friends and family and they just need to be able to be kids because a big thing of this movie is underneath this, all these different archetypes and all these people who you thought wouldn't get along are actually pretty much the same underneath. The, like society, they all have quite a lot. They all can get on quite well. Yeah, which they, we see throughout the film. Exactly, they all they change, all get on. but they're all they've all been twisted and molded by this by their surroundings and society into something that they're not. And by the end of the movie, that starts to break down. So I think that's. That that's with Brian. That's him. He opens up about his grades, and he and he re- he reveals that he's like borderline suicidal. He's the definitely the first to open up, and he's and then he's actually got quite probably the darkest reaction. Yeah. That's the thing. The kid that you, that we think oh he is is has the least to worry about, and has the best life, actually has the darkest like mind. He 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 contemplated suicide, and yet his situation to most people wouldn't look anywhere near as bad as some of the other characters. Now, I want to know, right, where do you get the gun? Why do you bring it yeah. to school? How did it go off? And why didn't they call the police? They found the gun in his locker and they gave him Saturday detention. One Saturday detention. Dude, you find a gun in someone's locker, you call the police. You don't just go, yeah. oh, you shucks. What did, the, what did the teacher do? Just take the gun and put it in his desk drawer and then just say, Saturday Quest, detention. Questions were raised about that plot point because I felt like it took away from the seriousness of it. She's like, I had a gun in my locker. Like, what was he gonna like shoot the school up or something? Like, why would you have a gun in your locker? And he said, because I want just. He implied that you wanted to take his own life. You're like, okay, I like the message it sends, but but there's something not there's easier not ways goofy, to do it. but yeah, it 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 was the suspension of disbelief was broken because it's like, okay, you use a gun to kill yourself as a kid. That is a very hard. Well, I don't know what it's like in America, especially where they were in Chicago, but. At least in the UK, it's a very hard thing to get a hold of. He could have got a knife easier, that kind of stuff. And why was it in his locker again? Was he going to like get his F and then go, right, I've had enough, go to my locker and kill himself? Maybe, but I felt like they could have made it a bit more dramatic by making it more believable. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like having something like a knife or even some kind of like rat poison or something in his locker would have warranted detention, not a gun. That would have like, he would have been expelled for that. Yeah, but yeah, it's um, it's it's it, it kind of the suspension of disbelief there is is uh, look in the end, like people can you can get it, you can get like go, oh, it doesn't make sense, but in the end, it doesn't really matter, does it? Because the the point is still made, and yeah. a gun is like if you like, I think you know, drinking rat poison isn't as dramatic as going, I'm gonna blow my brains out. What if I get this air? You know? Yeah, I just felt like. It, the message was there and I liked it because again, it sends that message of pressure, like no matter what, even if it's just an F on a test, that can mean the world to someone because they lack perspective. 
So the film is still fantastic, yeah, regardless. Yeah, I mean there are tons of these little things, but yeah. Should we move on to Allison? Allison, yes, the the weirdo. As I call ba- it, they call it a basket case. I was like, what? <laughs> basket case? What? Fair enough. I mean, she kind of is. I, I, I was like, I was like, I don't know what that means. What does it mean? It means you're a nutter, I think. Like a bit of a you're out there. If you are, if you are, if a you're basket a basket case, case or no or no one, please write in and let us know. Thank you. The 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 actor who plays her is very good, very convincing. She's fantastic. Fantastic. And all her little mannerisms has, are just perfect. I loved how she kept she kept biting her bottom lip and she kept yes. like the way she oh. delivered a line. She like burst out. She was like because she was like she didn't think about what she was saying. That's what the vibe I got. Like she I also go, got oh, no, no, no. kind of the vibe that she did it on purpose, because just to be weird. I feel like her whole she, yeah. she says she's a compulsive liar, and I think she just does all this because she likes to see people's reactions and she loves to be just odd. I think she I've finds. She, I think she gets a kick out of it. I've definitely got a kick from weirding people out at school. Oh yeah, I can relate to that. <laughs> <laughs> not I was like not as weird as Alison, but. Oh, her voice! Wow, you're regressing back to high school with her voice breaks. Jeez. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, can I have a nap? <laughs> oh, Jesus! Yeah. Anyway, so Alison, she's great. Yes, and she says that she says the least, but she still has a character. She's like, like Vernon she's to me. Like, I don't like her character. She's gross and weird and creepy, but I love her as a character because she's portrayed so well. Let's, let's, let's talk about the cereal sandwich in the room. Oh God. She has a cereal sandwich during the film and it, I was, I couldn't look. She whips out some sherbet or pixie sticks i could i think they call them in america the sugar, sugar and she packets. just dumps it onto bread yeah I, i'll never understand that flavored sugar is disgusting um sugar's bad yeah, she enough, literally takes I, it out i'm a bit i'm a bit yeah. like averse to sugar unless it's chocolate um, they, you, they always used it whenever i was a kid they always used to have those little sticks of flavored sugar at parties and i couldn't stand them I didn't get the appeal. They're disgusting. Anyway. And, then, and then when you get to um, high school, people start pretending it's cocaine. Oh, God. Don't, did oh, did anyone ever do Christ. that with you? That, yes. I remember that. Many, they were like, hey, who wants to go? I was like, it's, it's Sherbert. <laughs> you can tell it's Sherbert. No, they oh used to God. do lines of it. I was like, wow. Okay, oh, maybe that was, that was a different level on your school. I never saw it. <laughs> what the, oh, no. No, uh, people used to do it like... Jesus, like, I, I saw people pretend, but I never. Okay, wow, you, your people someone, over there, were, someone, were on a different level. Um, someone wiped Pritzik on their jacket and started sniffing it, like, and then they were like, pretend they got wasted on by sniffing. Do they not understand that, like, like, it's made to be non-toxic? But it's like way different. Two different ballparks there, Pritzik and yeah, it's flipping made to be anyway. Oh Jesus, it's like uh, Charlie and it's always sunny in Philadelphia, <laughs> just spray glue in a sock. <laughs> <laughs> oh my! <laughs> it's great. Oh, I, I, I trust me. Spray glue's weird, nasty stuff. Don't spray that stuff in an enclosed space. <laughs> anyway, that's my sunny tip of the day. Uh, don't don't use spray glue in confined spaces, kids. Anyway, Allison, I think 
I liked, I related a lot to, you know, being quiet and not talking. I related to that part, but to the pure weirdness, no. Like, oh God. I mean, her purse. She's a weirdo. That's a disaster zone. Her handbag. Yeah, she draws a picture. That like, was a good picture. It was a good. It was a good picture. Puts dandruff, dandruff on it. I was like, blooming heck. It. It was. It was weird. It was her whole character was weird, and she she told these really like sadistic lies, and then revealed she was a compulsive liar just to see and, what and people it turns were saying, out just to manipulate the only reason, people. The, the reason she's there is because she was bored. I was like, wow, <laughs> I love that. But then again, can you trust her? She's like, I'm a compulsive liar. I'm here because I'm bored. And you're like, well, are you? And then she has like a nice. For all I know, she she doesn't even go to that school. Well, Imagine she, it. I think she does, but and <laughs> then they have a nice moment with um, Andrew, the uh, jock, and she's they sort of bond over yeah. having you know That's, rubbish yeah. parents, and and then that sort of that's that one of my of, favorite scenes of the movie, definitely. And it's not long, is it? No, it's very no, it's, it's very, very short. short. It's like thirty seconds to a minute, if that. But then, and then she has and like, they, then she has the glow up, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like she, like they were really like, wow, oh look, she's beautiful now. She's you know brushed her hair and put makeup on. Yeah, there are a few mixed messages in Al- this Alison, movie. Alison, uh, Alison, you're a princess. Yeah, it's like, don't worry, kids. If you put on makeup and wear a nice dress, it's like the same message. Don't worry, as- don't worry, quite introverted girls. Just slap, a yeah. bit, slap a bit of lippy on. Yeah, it's like the same messages at the, the end of Greece. Don't try and be yourself. Be someone else. <laughs> I think the eighties was very much about that. Yeah, we don't we don't <laughs> talk about eighties themes much. Yeah, so it's it is it is a bit of a mixed message. That's one of the things I was a bit iffy on. Like I loved the film. Yeah, I thought it was great fantastic actually so but then i was a bit like okay yeah but to be fair it was made what 30 years ago so yeah there were definitely those actually it was 20 yeah 35 years ago there was definitely um yeah as always with these movies from different eras mixed messages just from the time i guess nothing's going to be completely timeless is it because yeah and this movie actually is quite timeless. There are a few cheesy 80s moments and a few places where you're like, that's hard to believe. Where a guy screams and shatters a window. A human being screams and shatters a window. Yeah. What is when Andrew's on, on the drugs, he outdoes them all. He just comes out the smoke on weed and he just like flipping loses it and starts dancing he around the library. S- he smoked a lot because he filled that room yeah. straight up. But yeah, that whole scene was great. If not a bit cheesy, but it was the scene fun. where they get the the drugs is from the locker is great. Where they're running around, <laughs> that's fantastic. That's probably my another yeah. one of my favorite scenes. That's uh, Bender's locker, which has a guillotine in, which I guess is a good transition to his character. Can we just quickly talk about the running scene, which is great? Oh yeah, it it's pretty. That's iconic. It's it's iconic. It's cheesy. It's eighties. There's it, a lot of focus on feet, but it works <laughs> for some reason. It works. Yeah. I love the bit where they, like the camera's center on the corridor and they slide into frame and then slip out. Like they're all slipping on the floor and they slide out. Yeah. yeah. And it always cuts back to um, Vernon just like, you know, marching about, swanning about really, like really casually and they're all like running. Mm. Yeah, that was a fun, it stood out as kind of a, a memorable scene. Oh, should we talk about Andrew before we talk about Bender? Uh, yes, actually. Yeah, I forgot. He, He's, he's. I'd say he's the not the deepest character, but he's the one who, who's who's, who's the most open. With the yeah, group. he's definitely. Um, he's the one that 
elicits the most emotion, at least from me. After that, I felt yeah. very sorry for him. Yeah, uh, he's you, you kind of see that even though on the outside he appears to be the sporty kind of tough guy who he wants to, he kind of picks on people, and he said how he t- he tackled one kid to the ground. And he, because he just wants to impress his father and live up to people's expectations, well, and he actually well, the reason about how the reason he went to detention is because he taped a guy's bum, and I was like, "Yeah, that was were, I, was about, I was a bit like, what, what did he do to him? <laughs> what is this, this poor but guy?" It's he opens up about regret because he keeps bullying people, and he said he feels bad, but he feels like he has to, and he just acts without thinking. Yeah, definitely. and it shows again. It shows what pressure can do to a kid, and he's actually the one who encourages the others to speak up about their issues at home. And because he did like it, that, so. he he initiated it. Because he yeah. probably he probably like whenever he's at home, he probably just when he's in like his room or something, he probably thinks like about it constantly. Yeah, like, you get that. You get that because the way he says it, that he gets that. You get that sort of vibe from it. Like, like he has that line to Bender. Maybe uh, Bender has the line to Andrew. I think your old man and my old man should get together and go bowling. So they actually find that they're pretty similar. They, have they all have issues at the, home. Those two characters specifically have been the ones that are most conflicted. But then they find yeah. that common ground at the end. When everyone finds that common ground in that, you know, the the scene where they're sitting around the the finale sort of. Great. Yeah. Fantastic. That was my terrible Australian accent. <laughs> fantastic fantastic boomerang wow okay cool that <laughs> apologies to Australia from the Barbie. apologies to Australia <laughs> I apologise to the entire country of Australia anyway but, uh, Andrew yes we're talking about Breakfast Club so yeah he's he's the first he's the domino first domino to fall so to speak yeah uh, yeah so Bender the wild card. He's the one left, and he's—I—I'd say he's the—he—he's uh, th- that class clown. He thinks he's hilarious. He thinks he's cool. He always has something to say, and he doesn't know when to. He's got a bandana on basically. his ankle. Absolute legend. Yeah, that's yeah. It, people used to do that a lot in my school, where they just like they wear the blazer inside out and do all sorts of weird things as a cry for attention. He's got five layers on. Yeah, I like that. Throughout the movie, Every character, especially him, at the start of the movie, is very layered in clothes. They're very insulated. Bender has sunglasses on. He's very. It shows he doesn't want to be part of this outside world, and he's not quote unquote mainstream. He's got fingerless gloves. Yeah, Absolutely. and then by the end of the movie, they're all kind of dressed dressed more casually. They've all got sunglasses. Oh, yeah, that, on, when, they're, when on. they're walking, when they're walking out, yeah. they all sort of take. They have less clothing on than the. Yeah, not, and not it shows. Like, it's it, like a weird thing. No, yeah, it's like a visualization of them letting their guard down. It's like how when you go to a party, you can you're all nicely dressed, and then maybe afterwards you're not wearing your coat and your ties a bit loose. And that's how kind you of, got your tie around your head. You're doing a common yeah. Eileen, <laughs> come on, Eileen, or New York, New York, kicking kicking in da, the middle. Da, 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 da. I'm gonna get copyright striked. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, YouTube heroes are gonna come and. It's, it's a great visualization of um, of that breakdown of yeah of them becoming friends produ- essentially. It's great production design, you know, because yeah. costumes fall into that, and it's great just that in general. It's all it's everything. Part of the filmmaking is coming together as one mm. to just make a great moment that people can go, oh, if you can make your audience notice what you the work you've put in. Then you've sort of like hit the nail on the head. There. Yeah, 
And Bender, I love the bit where he's climbing through the um, thing, the the ceiling, and he falls through, and there's a massive hole in that ceiling, and they don't address it at they all. They don't address they don't even, it. You don't, you don't even see it. There's a poor character called Carl, the janitor, who's like the, the best. The janitor. He's like the, the the voice of reason between the teacher and the student, because he tells them both yeah. where, they, where they're wrong. Everyone, everyone kind of looks down at him and makes fun of him, because he's a janitor, but he's actually like... Uh, he's like more intelligent and like wise than ninety percent of the characters. In fact, all of the characters in the movie and they're like, Combined. yeah, they basically poke fun at him for being a janitor. And he's like, well, where are you going to be in five years, kid? And the teacher's like, I have a salary of this many dollars a year to look after these thousand dollars a year. Yeah, and the janitor's and just like, as well, why you just get a different job? Yeah, <laughs> but quite quite easy. But he. uh I like the janitor. It shows that, you know, he's like, it's a noble profession. He's doing his job. He's he's making his way through the world. And these kids are making fun of him all day. And he's like, I don't care. I'm doing my job. I know I'm better than them. My English teacher said something similar to that when uh, once. We kind of get that in this movie where the teacher confronts the student. Yeah. Which is, which is one of my favorite scenes. Oh, yeah, when, well. he, uh, when, uh, uh, Vernon confronts Bender. Yeah, he locks Very. him in his store cupboard, and he's like, "Go on, clock me on the chin. I'll give you the first hit." He's like, "If I'm gonna find you five years in five years when you're out of this school, and I'm gonna beat the ever loving whatever out of you." You know, he's like, "Yeah, the ever loving uh, uh, PC podcast can't swear." The ever loving PC podcast out of you. Um, yeah, he's he's again. That's one of his big flaws. He. He can't control his anger, and he's clearly not really a nice guy. And he's threatening this, essentially, this kid. And in that scene, we we get to see the true colors of both characters coming through. We get to see this big, respectable teacher for who he really is, and we get to see this kid Bender, who's apparently meant to be trouble. We get to see the human side of him. He, he doesn't been, retaliate. He's, he's, he's mean, isn't he? Because it's a yeah. it's a high angle shot over the 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 um the shoulder of the teacher, and he's very low in the shot. But it, he's also the way the guys sat down the actor. Yeah, he's like very like Ooh. they make him feel very insignificant, which is something we don't see often with him. It, it, you can tell he's shocked, but at the same time, yeah, he doesn't retaliate. Normally, what normally when he comes into room, he's like you know largely in charge. Yeah. He's got a bit of pepper in his pouch, but, but in it, this scene, yeah, it's gone totally. Obviously. He's a completely different person. He's like you know deer caught in the headlights, wide eyed, like oh my god, and oh my god, this he, guy's gonna kill me. Yeah, but but that's the thing we get to see when when push comes to shove. He's not a bad kid. When when he's in those situations for real, in the real world, he's 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 actually, you know, like any other kid. He's he's like Brian. He's quite, you know, timid and he doesn't actually want to hurt anyone. It's just because he's grown up in a bad environment. I see you see him fight with Andrew at one point. The who's like a professional yeah. Andrew's a professional wrestler, so he immediately gets, gets grounded. But then he pulls out a knife, and you're like, "Oh God!" You make assumptions about this kid. You're like, "He's a violent kid. He, he's he's a criminal," and and he and it also shows that he's unpredictable. But at the same time, you probably like, no, he probably has that knife because of his upbringing and and his yeah. environment at home. So it puts and a different perspective on that he puts on. Yeah, and maybe that knife's for self defense against like his abusive father. You never know. Like that's the thing. These characters, yeah. it, it proves time and again, these things aren't. These characters aren't what they seem off the bat. They're 
they're deeper than just an archetype. That's the whole theme of this movie. It's breaking down those archetypes and showing that underneath this, kids will be kids and kids just need time to, to, to talk to each other, to, to be friends, to not have pressure on them. And I, this movie does a great, a great thing at both directly and indirectly breaking down those archetypes. Like Brian and Andrew break down and say, I can't, oh, it's too much. And they show who they really are. Bender, not so much. But we do get scenes where we see we the do. true person he, coming through. Like there's a he scene where he walks softer. Yeah, he storms off because they confront him about his parents and what his home life must be like. And he shows off. He's got this big cigar burn on his arm, and he goes off and he storms off and throws stuff around. And he get at one point he gets again confronted by Vernon, and and he kind of shies yeah. away. So there's there's a there's moments in this movie for every character to show their true colors, which I like. Now we're coming to the end of our discussion and I just want to say something dawned on me while I was watching this film. Yeah. This is, this is an Alex perfect film. I'm not saying it's a perfect film. I'm saying it's an Alex perfect film. What I consider a perfect film. And there are, and I, and I, I just thought this is a perfect film for me. Yeah. But when I finished watching it and I was, I was racking, it was racking my brain. I was thinking, why do I think it's a perfect film? And I'm trying to think, why do I think, other films I, that I think are perfect are perfect. And I've boiled it down to the three, the, the three points. The three pillars of Alex. <laughs> the three pillars of Alex films making and watching. Uh, so maybe, maybe other people will agree with this. If you agree with my, what I'm about to say, feel free to write in or email us or whatever. Uh, so three pillars, great music. Films got to have great music. Yeah. To create a tone, absolutely great characters to keep us engaged. Yep, and a great premise mm. to get us in immediately. Yeah, I mean, it sounds basic, but that is the like that's what so many people forget. Think of a memorable film that you love, and now think about the, t- the soundtrack. Like every movie has a memorable soundtrack because you could make the best movie in the world, but if there's nothing to associate with that movie instantly in your head. I think that it, it will be forgotten. Yeah, like a quote from a great character or something. Yeah. So, um, but in a lot a of cases, that, yeah, that's the music. Uh, either a memorable quote or the music. I mean, so think about Titanic. Club, and I think Jurassic it has great Park music, great characters, yeah. and a great premise. And uh, to apply it to a different film, uh, I don't know. Uh, what's another? E.T. So, well, I, I, was, I just thought Blade Runner. That's Blade one of my yeah. favorite films. That is a great premise you know, hunting rep- replicants or robots, you know what I mean? And uh, great music, I mean, phenomenal. And uh, great characters. Yeah. At least in my opinion, they serve their purpose in the story. They might not be the most developed things because, I mean, character is subjective depending on what your story is. That's why yeah, I think anyway. Yeah, For me, but, I'd say not only great characters and great premise, but you need a really good first scene like a like a like like a it's like a i don't know how to explain it but in the godfather they have the party and that perfectly establishes but godfather part two they have the 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 party again yeah in this movie they have the kids being dropped off and um the the memorable intro star wars star wars yeah it it has the perfect establishment of there's a war between a galactic empire and a a massive galactic empire and a tiny rebellion with the time yeah and then luke gets set up like 
every character needs a good setup. You, you can keep some mystery around characters because that's fun, but don't just introduce a character and, and have people not know what they're about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and if you're, if you have an established character, don't change them to service the plot, keep them consistent. Oh God. I've, oh, I'm the look, amount of time. I'm looking at you. The rise D&D. of Skywalker. Oh, the rise D&D. of Skywalker. I'm the looking at you, Skywalker. Chris Terrio. Yeah. Oh God. I'm looking at him right now. Um, and I just want to quickly rattle off a few things. I look, I love the film, loved it. Yes. I, I've just said it's a perfect film, but I didn't like. There was something that I didn't like. Uh, the kids are not diverse at all. They're all white. Come on. Yeah, yeah, that oh, is yeah. okay. Yeah, like I, I guess, like I could see for some people, you know, not white people would be like, well, I didn't really connect with any of it because it, it definitely it, it would have uh, been interesting. Ladies, girls see. might not like the. Uh, the glow up bit at the end, but I said, and yeah, I don't yeah. like how they, they all get together. Well, not get together at the end, but there's some, ki- there's like kissing. I was a bit like, okay. Yeah. It felt believable. And then that kind of felt shoehorned in at the end where it was kind of like, oh, this is a lovey dovey. Soppy. Like maybe they could ho- like, like they could hold hands, but I don't want to say yeah. kiss. Right? Yeah. It all happens fair, very fast. I'd, and Claire and uh, Bender, they get together at the end. And, uh, Allison and Andrew and poor Brian just completely sidelined. Yeah, but on the on the point of of diversity, it would have been a lot a lot if they ever did a modern remake. It would be interesting to have characters that come from a. I'm a announcing. Greater... I'm remaking the uh, <laughs> Breakfast Club. It would be great to have characters from all these different backgrounds, though different um, races, ethnicities, yeah, yeah, religions, um, maybe. religions even sexualities. Yeah, I think the more perspectives that you can get on different walks of life, the better, because it will just lead yeah, to definitely. more interesting and intriguing storytelling. And that's a big representation of of what life is like now. Society is more open than ever, and in school now, there are tons of different types of people: the goths, geeks, you know, nerds, jocks. There's all sorts people of people like Marvel movies and nothing else. Yeah, I mean, back then, to like comic books and Marvel characters was. Like, oh god, you're a big nerd, and now it's become the norm. So it would be, it would be interesting, not necessarily to see a remake. That's, that's kind of in when we were kids. It was still a bit like, oh come on. Oh man. yeah, of course. Yeah, there was like, but ne- but then like when we became, I don't know when it was, but like probably just when we turned probably ten. Yeah, I'd say the it went, it went. the advent of comic maybe, books maybe a bit of- was as our interest grew, so did the industry, yeah, which definitely. was quite cool. But and I just want to say one last thing that I didn't, I I would I didn't personally like. I was a bit. They were hinting throughout the film, at least for me, at least that Allison liked Bender in like a, um, so she was sort of a crush on him because she sort of like looks at him a bit funny. She like waits for him I, to like. I didn't I thought, know like, whether oh, to... she like. Does she have like a a little cute thing? And I thought, and I thought it would have been cool. Because they sort of they sort of gel together in my mind a bit more those two personalities, but then she goes with Andrew, which is fine. They had the connection; it still works. And Claire and Ben, I was like, okay, sort of doesn't really work, but whatever. They they it still makes sense. I I didn't know whether to interpret it as her being flirty or her just being weird. That's what like her character is so unpredictable. I just couldn't tell. But I never I never got a connection. Well, actually, I did get a connection between her and Andrew during the nice heartfelt scene but yeah it was it was, it was never like attraction to me it was never it was more of like friends talking it wasn't it felt very unnatural I think, at the end i think it could be 
attraction. But I don't know. There was more. I got more sense of an attraction between her and Bender. Like maybe she just yeah. like she has it. Like she just like she just like looks at him or like you know she's like oh if only that's yeah. what I got anyway. Because it's like when they're running in the hall and Ben like they say let's go this way and let's go that or let's go that way. She waits in the middle. She looks at. Bend on. I was like, oh, and I see what a, doing then. in my mind, it would have been a better match because they're both kind of weird and they're both kind of outliers. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, it, but then again, it just sent a powerful message of people who are completely polar opposites. Can doesn't, it doesn't, be happy it doesn't matter. But you know, it doesn't matter as long as you have the core, you know, connective thing. Uh, yeah, every movie has its flaws, and I think this one, like, despite those things, I think it's still a great movie. Like any movie where I instantly go, I will watch that again. Or, you know, I feel like I've been on an adventure and it feels like this movie yeah, is, still, is, is nostalgic to me already. That's a powerful film. And very few films gets, manage to do that. A lot of Spielberg's films are like that. Um, Robert Zemeckis films, a yeah, lot of them are. Exactly. Back to the Future. George Lucas. Roger Rabbit. George Lucas. A lot of those films are made to feel nostalgic because they tap into that human instinct. Like I said last week, the story circle humans have this mm. instinctive thing in their brain that if, if if you hit certain notes with your story you're gonna you get it there's something that's just happens in someone's brain where they're like this is this is an adventure i want to do this again i mean indiana jones et jaws star wars star trek and now this ferris bueller's day off i think i believe you said it was made by the same guy which i didn't know yeah but you did. can you can feel that that um yeah, connection and you can you can tell that these directors are very talented at this kind of storytelling because while The Godfather is a great movie, it it doesn't feel like a adventure or a fun. It's not supposed to be. And well, that's very, sometimes that's you, very much a, an adult film, isn't it? Yeah, and it's or still my second film, favorite film of all time, pretty much. But but it's it's something different. Sometimes you just want this kind of movie, and I think if if a kid wants to, if 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 my kids grew up on. Back to the Future and and Star Wars. I'd show them this when they got a bit older because it, it feels very similar, just a bit more adult. So I just show them show them when they're five. <laughs> They'll never know. I mean, I mean, like, what, a of, what's uh, a weed? <laughs> what's a weed? Why is that man saying there's night words? A weird allowed to say. <laughs> why, is he, why is he underneath the desk being creepy? Uh, <laughs> why is there actually? Yeah, that's that was me. I'm like, whoa. Okay. Yeah, I was like, as much as Bender seems like a fine person underneath it all, I'm like, he's still a bit of a creep. These def- these characters definitely have flaws. Very 80s flaws, by the way. <laughs> but I give we g- what do we give it? A gold star. I give it a little sound effect. I think we should give it a grade, like in school. I give it an A, an A plus. I gave it an A plus plus. Whoa. <laughs> I've said it. You've said it. Whoa. Here we go. Yeah. Great Don't movie. I think the lowdown is to... great movie oh, wait, no, suffers. Sorry. Well, my, my just final word on it is great movie, great adventure, great underlying messages. It suffers from a bit of that eighties cheese and non PC, which kind of serves it sometimes because sometimes you want that. Not everything has to be PC. We'll just come on. I know. It makes it more believable, certainly the the non PC nature, because that's what it's like in school. Like whether yeah, no matter how far Jesus. we think we've come in society, some of the things that come out of kids' mouths these days are like, oh, yeah. okay, Ooh. So, but yeah, I, I loved it. It was a great movie. Fantastic. Seth's kiss. <laughs> Mamma mia. Yeah. Um, I think it's time for our next segment. Next segment. Our rant segments. 
Do you want to go first or shall I? I'll, uh, I don't mind. You can go first or... I'll go first because I've got a lot to get off my chest this week. Yeah. And I'm angry. I'm annoyed. I'm annoyed because people... Why do people write off franchises if there's one bad installment? Because uh, they're like, don't. <laughs> exactly. just kidding. Just kidding. Don't out us, please, please. We're we're holding up. We're holding up the audio white flag. Don't crucify yeah. us or anything. Um, so my, I've been thinking about. I've been reading Game of Thrones recently and the books, and uh, I've been thinking about the show again because it's one of my absolute favorite shows. It just blew my mind. I was like, oh my god, how could they be so crazy? And it's on TV. It's like, how can the same device that created the Teletubbies make this? <laughs> That's a very uh, specific very reference. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but no, like, so people have completely written off Game of Thrones now. If you go on Reddit, on the Game of Thrones Reddit, it's just people still complain. A year later, now, still complaining. I can't about- speak of this, speak about this because I've not seen it all, but I, I do know, I know that I've seen about two seasons of Game of Thrones. And it's, it seems like a great show. It's not bro, my kind bro, of thing. Bro, you've really. seen three. Dude, you've seen three. Have I? Really? I, I, yeah. I mean, it's not my kind of show. I'm more into the fantasy. Fantasy. But I get why people like it. I mean, there's a reason it's as popular as it is. But I don't understand how two seasons the show in the world. can ruin it for people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at like, the, the prequels of Star Wars. People are like, that ruined Star Wars. Same with the sequels. I could still sit down and watch pe- the originals. People have written like, off they're not yeah. they don't not exist like i i have i still have my dvds of seasons one to whatever uh, one to six of game of thrones and i can watch them so why like are you going youtube or just the internet in general people aren't it's a it's a bit different in the book subreddit because i've been i've been reading through that a lot and people yeah. are still like hey it's really cool it's a lot more healthy on there you go on the tv show subreddit jesus christ I I was like, whoa. Yeah, it's a shame when people can only... they. I find it ironic when people claim that something ruined a franchise and then they won't stop talking about it. It's like, well, I've if you think it ruined on. the franchise, stop ruining the franchise by bringing it up. Like, it, Talk about the things you enjoy. That's the way I to, thought, you know... Yeah, it's I was watching clips, uh, clips on YouTube and um, and like like from a week ago, the top comment, this didn't go anywhere. It's like, of course, okay, okay, we get it. It didn't go anywhere. Yeah, we get it. We get it. The seasons were bad, but come on. Like, you can still enjoy the other seasons. I mean, yeah, they don't go anywhere. There's no closure, but there's still there's still concise stories for each series. Yeah, I'm not... I don't and even to... We could just, just wait till the book is out. Come on, guys. I mean, it, it's never coming out. Let's. I mean, frank. I've got to be frank. But, if, if you let something ruin something that you hold dearly, quote quote ruin it it's kind of stupid i mean yeah it would be yes it, it's nice to have a, a complete beginning middle and end that's satisfying but no one's yeah. taking away the thing that you enjoyed no, it's because not the th- gone you can pretend so again, the th- if you really want to you can pretend the things you don't like don't exist it's not a healthy thing to do really but if you really yeah. want to just pretend things don't exist then fine you do that if it lets you enjoy it we'll do it but but don't go around 
years after something's released, like literally years after something's released, people will still, still hold on to these things. It's like, okay, it happened. Get over it. <laughs> well, oh, um, sorry, sorry, everyone. This has been a Game of Thrones chat, but it's just because this is just what sparked my annoyance with this thing. It's um, so that is like, I think people who watch Game of Thrones or read the, read the book, or they're, if they're fans of it, they love the details. And you can still enjoy it, like the details of the world and the characters, and you can still enjoy the details and the world of the characters with the seasons. The only thing that's ruined, quote unquote, ruined, is um, the overarching story. Yeah. yeah, the the next two seasons, like the character work is, it goes off a cliff. I'm not defending the last two seasons; I didn't enjoy them, but I'm not going to go. And yeah, I what what's going on? Uh, no. Like, yeah. I'm not going to go back and now I'm not going to go back and deconstruct everything that uh, the showrunners did that wasn't to the books and say, oh yeah, this is terrible. I mean, it's, it's, like, no. it's, it's unhealthy. And, yeah, then, and in the end, it's not real. So I can easily just go, well, that's not real. This is real. I can live within the real world now. Bye. Yeah, exactly. That's people put so much emphasis on entertainment and they put so much of their, which is fine. Especially you know, that shapes in, people, especially for me, the movies and games shape who you are in this modern society. They're, they're everywhere, but at the same time, it's not real. It's not like someone murdered someone in front of you. It's not like someone declared war. It's like, it's a, it's a movie. It's a TV show. Get over it. Like say your opinions, but let the people who enjoy it enjoy it, and and you enjoy the things you want to enjoy. If we all did that, I think the the, the internet and pop culture would be a more positive place. Yeah, but that's not going to happen, Sonny. No, because, it's not. Uh, neckbeards exist, and uh, you know, <laughs> got him. Uh, yeah, you heard me. Neckbeards listening. Whoa, whoa. You're not welcome. Alex is declaring war on all neckbeards. <laughs> Our uh, sub count's just gone. Yeah, I guess this kind do of transitions have, do, into... Do, podca- do podcasts have sub counts? I don't know. But this kind of transitions into my soapbox. Hargy, hargy. I declare myself pickled tank. Shut your fucking mouth! Shut the fuck up, you cunt! Boy. That escalated quickly. I'm, I'm up. I'm a soapbox. Wait. And I'm, there we go. That was you there you go, sound on. effects. Uh, and I'm going to talk about something very similar, which is nostalgia and expectations and what it does to movies. Yeah. There's a correlation also between games as well. Yeah. Between disappointment and the criticism of a movie. Like your example, Game of Thrones. It became such a popular show by season six that when seven and eight came around yes it might not have been the best but that was probably well, they, didn't have, they, didn't, they didn't have books to adapt well to, yeah they ran out of book but material i so imagine they had to make it, it up it was also amplified by hype yeah definitely but same way the prequels were like people had 10 20 years to build this up in their head and the sequels like, people had another 10 years exactly to build up in their head. they were like oh my god this is gonna be amazing so it really doesn't help when I'd say with the prequels and the sequels, as much as I enjoy both, there are clear missteps. And those clear missteps are greatly amplified when people associate such strong feelings of nostalgia and have such high expectations. And you're dealing with these these characters that mean so much to people. 
that it they let it cloud their judgment. Like for me, The Last Jedi was a brilliant movie and it dealt with these themes a lot, but I was disappointed when Luke threw away his lightsaber. But then I, I, I took a step back and I said, well, what is, what is the purpose of this? What's the story trailer trying to do? And I looked yeah. at it from an objective point of view and I, it made me realize that this has created one of the best character arcs in cinema over told over wow. 40 years. Wow. Big, I'm saying it. Big claim there. Because it, it follows the hero's journey perfectly. The first six Star Wars films didn't follow the hero's journey, or the first three didn't follow the hero's journey for Luke perfectly. By eight, he's followed that journey to perfection. Ryan Johnson completed that journey perfectly. And it it showed us a hu- the human behind the legend. The galaxy and the both the galaxy and the viewers had deified Luke into something he wasn't. And Ryan Johnson broke down those expectations. And rather than appreciating it as a powerful piece of storytelling, people just got angry because they like Luke. And they, people could tend to be quite childlike about these things. They want him to be the superhero. Yeah. I mean, imagine if Luke actually went to create and started destroying the giant walkers and, and stabbing stormtroopers. Like, it wouldn't have been if in it his was character. Like the Force Unleashed video game. Oh, God. Don't get me started. I love that game, but seriously, what it did to the Force and the lore of the Force and the and the meaning Jeez. was 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 like oh god i'm glad that's no longer canon the new canon of star wars is very good at, at making at mysticism anyway go back to the example of yeah. luke he he um he him projecting himself onto crates and and taking a passive wise sage like response to the to war luke has never been about violence he's always been about the peaceful option he threw away yeah. his lightsaber at the end of six, much like, much like he did in eight. He didn't want to fight. And that was a perfect ending to his character. He didn't go out and start stabbing stormtroopers and they didn't give in to what the fans wanted because it was quote unquote cool. He did yeah. what, what fit his character and, and he became a wise old legend of a Jedi that, and he did it in the most dignified and respectful way. And he was like, you know, this is a Jedi. Not someone who he goes out and starts killing stormtroopers. Yeah, which is so fitting to his character. And he redeemed himself. And he and he realized his mistakes. And it was a perfect character arc. But because his journey had slight fluctuations, people freaked out. And that's why I'm saying people tend to allow these nostalgic feelings and these emotions to get in their way of, of appreciating a good story. And the big thing for me, I'm just just quickly on the last day, the, the big thing why I like it is because it did something different. Exactly. It took the Star Wars and it, and it made it different. Like if you look at the prequels and the originals, they're different completely. Like, yeah, there's the same character scene, but there's like lightsabers and spaceships, but they, they're completely different tones and films. They look yeah. different as well. And that's, and then you look at, um, you know the sequels. I mean, the J.J. Abrams ones specifically. Not not a big fan of that because they just. I mean, everyone knows they just copy other stuff. Or, well, they don't copy, but they're just uninspired. They're just I, the same, the same building blocks for me at least. And they don't. They just. They just. They're they're obsessed with the past and nostalgia. But then people, even people like, don't like that either. These people who who obsess over Star Wars and still complaining about it now or whatever. Yeah, you're never going to please everyone. That's another problem. These Everyone has a different meaning for their different franchises. That's why sequels, like Ghostbusters Afterlife, that's going to be controversial, I can tell already, because there are going to be people who yeah, love it. It's yeah. going to be love, people who I, hate it because it I'm means a bit, something I'm skeptical. 
Yeah, it means it's something lo- different to everyone. I don't even like. I don't even like Ghostbusters two that much. Yeah, I I loved so. Ghostbusters two. I thought it was fine, but a lot of people hated it, and I think it's because of the same reasons. Like when you set such a high standard for a franchise, and people and it becomes so it it mean it it becomes something so important to so many people. It's hard. Sometimes it's best to just in a way let it go, or because sometimes the audience just isn't gonna see it the way that critics see it that's why critic reviews are i think often so different to fan reviews because the critics look yeah. at it objectively and the fans are like no this is terrible or this is great and the critics are subjectively like, yeah definitely yeah i mean going back to the example of jj abrams i thought his movies were fine they were a decent movie they were enjoyable in the moment they're well they're well made yeah they're very they're well jj is a director who's extremely talented when it comes to spectacle and i, I do like the idea of his story boxes and things and he just can't write to save his life, in my opinion, at least. <laughs> I, think he, I think he's a good writer as well. But I just think that in a franchise like Star Wars, I I think Ryan Johnson fit it more. But then again, the fans disagreed. So uh, my opinion means nothing. But I mean, we've already lost every listener yeah. by just talking about The Last Jedi and yeah. praising it. So. I mean, Ryan Johnson said in the thing, let the past die. George Lucas has been about that. He always wanted to move forward with Star Wars, tell new stories with new characters, and new locations. in general. Yeah, he's yeah. always been about pushing for new, different fun. That's what makes Star Wars Star Wars. It was di- It's different and fun. And when Star Wars becomes mundane, which to me is what 7 and 8 were, in a way, they weren't mundane. I enjoyed them, but seven, they're not. They're, they weren't. They didn't feel like Star Wars. And that was a shame. Don't, 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 don't you mean 7 and 9? Seven, yeah, seven and nine. Sorry, they. Jeez, I was going. We were just going to get some comments. There. Yeah, Jeez. no, yeah, seven and nine were. I love them. I accept them as Star Wars films because anything Star Wars is like great to me. I mean, I enjoy it, but it's. I don't like it when people pander to the audience, and I think that the audience needs to learn that nostalgia is a powerful drug, and sometimes you have to see past it in order to move forward in storytelling. Yeah, you know what? I can't wait for the Marvel films to get this controversial. Oh, it's going to happen. You know it is. Like, oh my God. The people who grew up wait. on them now are going to be like, no, this right. is what they were. So people complain about the Marvel formula, right? Right. That's sort of like being, it's slowly been chipped away. But now they're going to get more like actual films and not like, you know, a roller coaster or whatever. Yeah. And I can't wait. I want the Marvel like films to become ago. more interesting. I think they are definitely going to because, uh, well, what's coming out? Well, I mean, I, nothing's coming out soon. I, Taika Waititi did Ragnarok, and that revitalized the films for me because I'll be honest, I enjoyed a lot of the Marvel films, but I find I feel bad saying it because so many people like them, but I found them the same after a while. Underneath, they yeah. all felt very same. I de- definitely, I definitely looked at them, you know, again, I was like, they're. They're, I mean, they're great. They're well made. They're well acted. They're, they're not. There's nothing bad about them. But yeah, they're it's just like, a bit like. I see them as the fast food of movies, which is like, know, yeah. Everyone, everyone, I mean, that's, everyone, that's everyone what likes a is. Yeah, everyone likes a Burger you know. King. Everyone likes a McDonald's once in a while. Like, I hey, don't. It's, it's a bit of fast food. I mean, I've I certainly don't. like. I'd rather eat at like a nice restaurant any day. But sometimes you like you see one, you've been driving for hours on end. You're like, I'll grab a Big Mac. It's fine. I don't. Every- I don't. <laughs> but everyone's I'm like, just, I'm, I'm like, very anti McDonald's. Yeah, I don't like it. But but my point is that everyone everyone eats there at some point. Everyone has one, yeah. has a everyone has a bite of the Big Mac sometimes. And I think that's it's like that with the start with the uh, Marvel movies. They're 
it's like yeah they're, they're the junk food of of cinema they're like they're not they're not something to savor and to analyze and to think about a lot necessarily but they're fun and everyone likes it and everyone enjoys it and i enjoy it but they're not from the ones we yeah, i've seen at least there's nothing there's no deep meaning unlike you know i don't know yeah taxi driver or full metal jacket or whatever because these are like i mean they're a different sport really if yeah you, you know. they're definitely but, themes and messages but there's no because again that's not the audience that's not the intention that's what i'm saying i'm not criticizing them because that is the point of these movies they're not supposed to be like yeah. that so i mean if we do an episode on guardians of the galaxy my, this opinion is going to completely change because i love that that's the best one guardians yeah. of the galaxy one and two are the best Marvel films. That's why I became afraid when Disney started or Lucasfilm started churning out movies. I enjoy Star Wars, but I never want it to become junk food because it's always been about telling new, interesting, and meaningful stories. It's about pushing and I never, filmmaking forward. Yeah, and, and I never wanted it to become uh, like the Marvel films because it, 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 it's not <laughs> three, that to me. Commercialized. Three Star Wars a year. Yeah, I mean, George Lucas was a commercial genius. He was a filmmaking genius and he found a way to capitalize on it, like merchandising. Oh, they make fun of it in Spaceballs. Merchandising. But it's... We can have um, we can have Disney Plus shows and TV and animated shows. You can do, make as many of them as you want, but yeah. the films are definitely... Yeah, I'd say they're sacred. And Yeah. But I mean, yeah, the point I'm is... Not, like, I'm, not asking, I'm not asking for like 10 Disney Plus originals and, yeah. you know, a 300 new animated... I mean, keep your limits. I'm, I'm a bit iffy on well, how many are there now. Oh like God! Four, seven, <laughs> four coming out. Well, there's Mandalorian, <laughs> Kenobi, Cassian Andor. Yeah, and then there's now there's now there's new movies coming there's out. There's currently there's seven Star Wars movies in production or been announced, which scares. I think me. we should move on to the news. We got our obligatory Star Wars, Star Wars segment out of the way. Talk, yeah, now it's time for the news. The this just in. I'm on f off. I'm on live telly. Oh, yeah, yeah, f yeah. off out of it. I want to f hell. F off, you little twat. Sorry. Uh, I guess we'll go from least important to most important. Uh, the least important thing. <laughs> community. Week. Community are doing a table cool read. Cool table read. Which this is the official fun. show. It's the official sitcom of the podcast. I'm calling it now. Community is the best. <laughs> um, Joel McHale, Donald Glover, Gillian Jacobs, Danny Puddy, Yvette, Nicole Brown, Alison Bree. Everyone Rash, apart from Cherry Chase is back. Yeah. Um, and they'll also be joined by Pedro Pascal of the Mandalorian fame. And Game of Thrones things. fame as well. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, and uh, Narcos. He will uh, be playing. He's in the new Wonder Woman film. Oh, I did not know Apparently. that. Um, I, I didn't know until last week. Pierce, the character from Community, is his spoilers. He's died at this point. So they're doing an episode called Cooperative Polygraphy, uh, in which Pierce's estate executor like comes and they they gather for the funeral of Pierce and and uh, Pierce's ex- estate. It's like, will reading yeah. basically. Pierce's estate executor who was originally played by Walter Goggins is now going to be voiced by Pedro Pascal. So that sounds interesting. It's something to look forward to. And there's been rumors of the movie. Finally, six seasons in a movie. Six we seasons in a movie. Dan Harmon has said something. I mean, he probably said like, maybe I mean, and ever went yeah. hog wild. Yeah. And, uh, 
and I think Joe Russo said it as well, the Russo brothers, who are very huh. famous in Marvel now, they were heavily involved in community as uh, executive producers, I want to say, and uh, as well as Arrested Development as well. Anyway, I think Joe Russo talking about his new movie, whatever that is, I don't know, um, he said, maybe, yeah, maybe. It's definitely the talks, apparently. And we finally uh, get yeah. a community movie. How long has it been? When did the last series come out? <laughs> on, what was it? <laughs> on Yahoo Stream. Wow. Yeah, six years ago, probably, I'd guess. I don't know. 2014, then. So six years ago. That'd be my guess. Um, in other news, speaking of The Mandalorian and Pedro Pascal's, um, Katie Sackhoff is going to be apparently uh, in Mandalorian Season 2 as Bo-Katan who is um, an established Star Wars Mandalorian character. She's and from yeah, the Bo- animated shows, for anyone who doesn't yeah. know. And uh, uh, here's a little thing. In the chronology of Star Wars, like the big timeline with everything in it, she is the last person to have the uh, the dark saber, the black lightsaber, which we see at the end of season one, Yeah, held by Moth Gideon. So she's the last person to have that before him. So I'm hoping it'll be flashbacks, because I don't want it to be yeah. in the show too much. I don't want it to take the yeah. limelight. Yeah, definitely. Same with Boba, who is apparently going to oh, be yeah. in it, played by Tamura Morrison. Tamura Morrison? Tamura Morrison. Who played Django Fett in the prequels and, um, and the, clones. the clones as well. He voiced the clones in like, probably video games, I think. Probably, I don't know. But, yeah, uh, there's a lot of people who've been announced to be in the Mandalorian, and it, well, it makes me to be in it. Yeah, it makes me wary, but I think as long as like, they use them well, and it doesn't feel shoehorned in, it will be good. If you use them sparingly, because you don't want like it to become the Mandalorian Ahsoka show or whatever. Yeah, I definitely I don't want that. No, I don't. But I think Boba Fett is the. If anyone's going to be in it more than just like you know a one, one episode, episode or a yeah. scene. Or I think it would be Boba Fett because Definitely. I could see them. I could see them doing like four episodes about Boba Fett as like an arc. Yeah, Boba versus the Mandalorian would fit into the Western theme very well, which I know is a big influence for not only Star Wars but or the, the samurai, the samurai, the samurai theme. theme. It'd yeah. be like it'd be like the uh, the Ronan versus like the bandit, you know, very yeah. very uh, Sanjuro and uh, Kirikawa-san. It'd be very fitting because Boba Fett is. He's not a Mandalorian, but he 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 popularized yeah, in, that army. He he created that culture through in universe according to um, George Lucas now. Yeah, and this is all canon or whatever you want to call it. Um, Boba Fett and Jango Fett aren't Mandalorians like the ones in the show or the Clone Wars. They, I don't know. I I only know this from like behind the scenes stuff I've watched. They just say it's. Um, He's he only wears the armor because it's practical for him as a bounty hunter, huh. which I think is great because that just makes him more different. Because if he was just another Mandalorian warrior, it'd be a bit boring. If he's like just the evil Mandalorian, it'd be yeah. Like, uh, I think it, but ne- they'll be. I hope they deal with themes of honor because the Mandalorian's very once it has a lot of honor about his culture, and then this there's this other guy Boba who's just propagating it and pretending to be a Mandalorian and giving yeah. them a bad name so there's and that's a very samurai theme so they could do a lot with between boba and the mandalorian and it you know again it's very fitting because boba was the start of this whole culture in star wars so yeah uh i think and there are also rumors that that guy's playing um 
the same guy's playing Captain Rex, who's yeah. from who's like the most famous clone from the Clone Wars series. Is that guy still around? Uh, How's he not dead? Well, 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 it's sort of been semi confirmed that he's in Return of the Jedi. Yeah, because of that weird, like bearded man. The guy in the background. They the same beard. <laughs> but yeah, it's. Um, uh, but anyway, no, but um, that would be a I stretch for me. Yeah, because what would he be doing? What would he do? I d- yeah, I don't like it when characters are there for the sake of being there. You shouldn't go into a story saying we're going to have all this, these characters. Like, retired, retired yeah. Republic soldier and re- and retired rebellion fighter be with the um be be in the same like world as the Mandalorian. Yeah, I feel like you should take lack of a better word one character and maybe go. How can we make these two work? But when you start shoehorning characters in left, right, and center, or you start writing the story around those encounters, that's when I become fearful. I'm not willing to judge it yet because they're just rumors. But well, there's rumors that Ahsoka could be in it, and I think she's the she's the only animated character who can really cross over. Yeah, like a major animated character. I'm saying because Saw Gerrera crossed over in Rogue One. Yeah. Anyway, um, but um. Bogalit. So she and he's oh my god. He your mind. Um, so Ahsoka, because she's a Jedi or whatever, you, a Force user, yeah. and the baby Yoda is as well. So there's a connection there, and it makes sense. Yeah, so, I could see that. Working. We'll just have to wait and see. I'm hoping that she kind of works with Luke in this whole new Jedi Order stuff, and maybe she's looking for youngling. I don't know. Well, there's like a that. piece of fan art with um her and Luke. Oh. That's really cool. There's a really, you should look at anyone listening and want to check that out, just look at I mean, just Google I, Ahsoka and Luke on Google Images. That's how I find it. Oh, God. Just, yeah, make sure safe filters on though. Yeah, so safe search is on, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. But I don't see why they wouldn't link Ahsoka to Luke's new Jedi Order because it just makes sense. If she's alive around well, she's that not, time, why not? I'd, is she a Jedi though? I think that she'd like what Luke's Jedi way represents. So I think she'd be willing to help him. Because he's very no, different whatever. to the to the prequel Jedi in his beliefs. look. It doesn't matter. She has a lightsaber. She's a Jedi. I call her a gray Jedi, but I think that Luke is um, Luke takes a different a, perspective a on Jedi the Force. Jedi. Yeah, but he, he again, we see an eight that he's he's um, he's different to other Jedi. So I think they could yeah. they could end up working together. Anyway, more Star Wars talk. Uh, we need to get to the big oh, news, what, d- dude. There's like. Wait, I just have to apologize to everyone listening that like Star Wars has dominated every news segment for the for every episode so it's far. It's all that's coming out though, because of this and whole thing. And, and we keep talking about it just like yeah. like as as like a comparison to something else. And we're like I think every one of our rants has led on to Star Wars. <laughs> so we apologize for all the non Star Wars fans out there. Yeah. But this is it's all dom- they're dominating the news at the moment because Disney are announcing yeah, so much and there's so little going on in the entertainment industry. But I'm going to make a vow next episode. Um, we're not going to talk about Star Wars. Yes. Oh, God. And I'll put a hundred pounds on that. Oh, oh no. <laughs> anyway, um, the next piece of news is a sad one. Sad piece of news. Yeah. Sad piece of news. Jerry Stiller, comedy legend, actor, writer, passed away. Most famous Seinfeld. Yeah, I uh, think known as uh, played George's dad in Seinfeld. He passed away at the age of ninety-two. I mean, 
I don't know what else to say apart from what a great life. And we're big fans of Seinfeld. Oh yeah, massive fans here on the podcast. So and, and he and he was like, you you always laughed out loud whenever he came on. Yeah, he was. He played the the kind of cynical, grumpy old man so well. He did that in King of Queens as well, as well as Seinfeld. He's kind of yeah. I mean, he was just such a. He he was a character actor, but he had such a presence on screen. He was one of those people where you're like, you always recognized him. You went like, where's that guy from? You're like, oh, it's Jerry Stiller. Like he he just had such a, a way of, I don't know, performing. He's just a great comedy legend. And that's shown through his son as well. Ben Stiller kind of continued his legacy. Um, Yeah. But yeah, it's just, I mean, Zoolander. Yeah. (laughs) Hilarious. I've not seen it. But I mean, Ben still is just great. So, and his his father must be very proud. But this man was working up to 2016. Like he was he was in his 90s and he was still working. I think. Oh wait, late 80s. Like that's what. I mean, that's just how. I think that's like a, a lot of things happen in yeah. the film industry. You just, you just keep going, don't you? Because even Mel just, Brooks, like he's getting up there and he's in his 90s and he still does Broadway and things like that. Writes shows for Broadway, I think. He did Young Frankenstein, and I mean, apparently he's doing Spaceballs too. I, I hope so. I good, doubt. Good lord, I, 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 I'm cautiously optimistic about that one. But, but yeah, Jerry Stiller. I think his like, ghost will do it. <laughs> the ghost of Mel Brooks. That'd be amazing. But yeah, yeah, Jerry Stiller. Uh, how can you complain? Really, ninety ninety two. I mean, wow, and a life so full of. Just, I imagine joy and like to to spend your life entertaining other people, making people laugh, and, yeah, making people laugh, and to live it's a dream, age. isn't it, for a lot of people yeah. who I mean, want to get more, into the film? What more could you ask for? for? I I don't see this as it's a sad event, but I don't see it as necessarily tragic because it. I, I like it as a celebrate. We get to look back on his career and celebrate his life because if he's definitely up there with like just the amount of people who had who could say at the end like that was a good life. Yeah, we're not bawling our eyes out. Yeah, because, you know, it's like you go, oh. It's sad. It's definitely sad. But at the same time, you're like, the man was 92. He had a great career. Great, I imagine, great family. What more could you ask for? Yeah. And I guess on that somber note, uh, that's it. We're going to end the podcast. We're going to end the podcast. And that's the Rest in peace, Jerry Stiller. See you up in heaven. Thank you for listening, everyone. (laughs) Thank you for listening. Yes, uh. Don't forget to do the other things, and we're going to put an outro on this anyway. So well, it doesn't matter what we say; we could say anything. Could say anything. My anything. mother was a hamster, and your father smelt of elderberries. I fought in your general direction. <laughs> and that's our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget that episodes are available pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts: Anchor, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud—you name it. Be sure to share this episode, tell your friends, and maybe even leave us a review. Follow the podcast on Twitter at HollywoodPod, as well as on Instagram and Facebook. Just search for Taking on Hollywood and you'll find us. You can also follow me at RealNameFake on Twitter and Instagram, and subscribe to my YouTube channel, The Flavor Day Film Club, if you want to check out my short films. Really appreciate it if you check it out. Thanks for listening, and we hope you guys will join us next Friday for another edition of Taking on Hollywood. Please, we need the money. We need the money. Please, send money. Anyway. Bye. See ya.